Well, it's, I'm super excited to be here uh, with you to open the word and um, just share with you uh, some of the exciting things that uh, the Lord has been showing me from Second Chronicles 32. I know uh, uh, if you're new here or, or visiting, my name is Ryan Brown. I'm one of the pastor uh, elders here. Normally, the hat I wear, like Gage mentioned, was a, a worship leader. Um, but this morning, we're going to mix it up a little bit um, and uh, in more ways than one, right? Uh, and so it's super exciting. Um, Steve has been preaching from Acts for almost a year now. That's in the New Testament. We're going to be um, again in the Old Testament, like Dave DeHaan uh, last week um, from Word Partners brought us a great message of God's sovereign faithfulness from Ruth. We're going to fast forward a little bit in redemptive history um, and, and look at Second Chronicles. Um, and uh, so you can feel free to turn there, Second Chronicles 32. Um, but before we do, I do have, you know, the, a quick quiz. I'm a teacher, okay? That's another hat I wear, is a teacher. And so I have a quick quiz, a pop quiz, if you will. And it's super easy. Don't, don't freak out if you have test anxiety. So just want to assure you that it's going to be super easy. Um, but I'm going to show or I'm going to name some famous works of literature and film. And you're going to tell me whether it's a book, a play, or a movie. So you've got three choices. You've got 33% chance, even if you don't know. Okay? Um, all right. So we're going to start out, like, super easy. Okay? Romeo and Juliet. What is it? Just call it out. A play, yes, by William Shakespeare. Awesome. Play. You guys are 100% already. Good job. Okay. How about Avengers Endgame by the Russo brothers? Are you sure? No, it is, it is a movie. You're right. You're right. All right. Good. Two for two. Awesome. All right. How about Ghost by Jason Reynolds? This was a, it's a book. Yes. Uh, we read that as a school, in my school, last year. It was awesome. All right. Now it gets a little bit trickier, okay? A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's a book. And a play. And a movie. Hmm, all right. Well, you guys are on top of it. I, was, I thought I would trick you with that one. How about Les Miserables? That's a book. And a play. And a movie. Right, it, they're all three. So um, these are... The last two, right, I thought maybe I might trick, trip you up just a little bit, um, but I didn't. You guys are awesome, 100%. Great job. Um, there, are, uh, there are only a few books. Maybe there's more now as, like, you know, Broadway has become this big moneymaker. Um, but I would say that there are a few well-known books that have become both movies and plays, right? They are repeated three different times in our culture. And what the passage that we're going to look at is actually repeated three different times in Scripture. And I don't, as far as I can think of, that doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, except for maybe the works and miracles and, and sayings and teachings of Jesus, um, which happens more often. But it was hard for me to think of um, three different times in Scripture where uh, a specific event is mentioned or recorded. Um, and so it's kind of like... and. I, don't stretch this analogy too far, but it's kind of like, because I will, so, um, <laughs> it's kind of like we have a book, a movie, and a, a play version of the events that we're going to be looking at today. Um, so the events are recorded in Second Chronicles 32, are also found, um, and, and we're going to turn there now. So if you go to Second Chronicles 32, 1 through 23, it's in page 323 
in the Bibles in the uh, seat in front of you. Um, we're going to be looking at the movie version. Now, the, the other versions are found in, in 2 Kings and Isaiah. Um, and I say that it's the movie version because if you go to like 2 Kings, um, if you go to 2 Kings uh, verses uh, chapters 18 and 19, or Isaiah 36 and 37, you're going to find the full fleshed out versions of what we're going, what we're going to be looking at. The Second Chronicles version is the movie version, right? It's the, it's the condensed version full of all of like the, the highlights and the action-packed stuff. So um, I hope that, uh, that our time in here will be fruitful and, and encouraging for you all um, as, we, as we look at, um, at, at what the Chronicler has for us and what the Lord has for us. And so before we begin um, with the, you know, with context, would you just, I just invite you to pray with me um, as we seek the Lord today. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, just thinking uh, about this passage, and I think of uh, Hezekiah's words to the people that he spoke encouragingly to them. Uh, Lord, would you please, by your grace and, and your mercy, by the, the power of your spirit, speak encouragingly to us here today. Speak to our hearts, to our whole beings, to our hearts, our minds, our souls, that, all, that with all our strength that we might uh, worship you in spirit and in truth to uh, in turn go out and live lives for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, like I said, this is, this is kind of the movie version of what's going on in, in the history of Israel. We are in, if you're thinking about like the 12 stages as Steve has preached through before, we're actually, this is the kingdom stage, this is, but the chronicler is actually writing from the return stage, right? So does anyone remember that, the 12 stages of the Bible? Yeah, we, we sing the song often, so yeah, I won't, say, I won't uh, torture you today. Um, but uh, yeah, so we are in the return stage as, um, as uh, the exiles uh, in, uh, in Babylon are, are returning back um, to Judah to resettle. And yet, uh, in many ways, so the, uh, sorry, so we're talking about the context of, of Second Chronicles. The chronicler, I mean, we don't know who the author is, the chronicler is writing um, to the returning exiles in Judah. And the situation as they return is not good, right? They're reduced in strength. They're subject to a foreign authority. They are uh, living amongst people that don't worship the true God and are sometimes antagonistic towards them. Um, the ESV study Bible says that in many ways, their conditions in the land were still characterized by exile rather than restoration, right? God promised that they would be back in the land, and yet it still felt like they were in exile. So the chroniclers, not looking at an exhaustive retelling of the events of the history of Israel, right? We have that in 2 Kings, um, and first and 2 Kings. But what he's doing is hitting the highlights. He's getting to the action, right, kind of like a movie, um, because the action that the chronicler's thinking about is not maybe the action that we think about, right? He's like, I need to hit the highlights. I need to get to the important stuff. And when we think of that, like when we think of, uh, of a movie, we're talking about what drives the story along, what causes people to stay engaged. That's not necessarily what he's thinking about, right? He's, he's coming to the, to the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib with an agenda. 
And the agenda is um, to demonstrate God's commitment to the covenant that he made with David and the consequences of people's choices to follow him or to follow their own sinful and selfish desires. And so how, like, I think of how applicable that is for us in the church today. Just a, a quick aside, right? We live as kingdom people, but we don't live in the kingdom yet fully, right? We live in the already and the not yet. We, have, we live in a kingdom that's been inaugurated but not consummated. And so, and, and not only that, like, we are living under a new and better covenant. And so what, what a great thing to think about as we think about uh, God's faithfulness to that covenant. Um, and, and as the chronicler relates God's faithfulness to that covenant, it can apply to us as, as uh, inheritors of the new and better covenant, living as exiles. So we're going to see the chronicler's agenda play out in his retelling of the life of King Hezekiah. And, and our passage is actually just a snippet of that. The, the chronicler actually dedicates four chapters of, of Second Chronicles to the life of King Hezekiah, which is actually more than any other king that he, that he spends time on uh, since David. So this is a large passage, and we're going to take just a snippet of that. Excuse me. Um, as he relates Hezekiah's life. So Hezekiah, and, and so to set the stage for verse 32, we've got we to gotta do a little bit more groundwork um, and look at kind of what's going on for Hezekiah in his life at this time. Excuse me. So Hezekiah becomes king after Ahaz, which is his dad. Ahaz was his dad. And Ahaz, as we see in Chronicles was not a very good guy, right? He was not, he was not a good king. Um, he, he sets up high places of worship throughout all of Judah, um, which is, that is, uh, you know, kind of desecrating the, the, the prescribed worship that the Lord had, had given to the people of Israel. He sets up high places, and he also even goes so far as to lock up the temple, right? He's like, here's the, here's the way uh, you can worship, and you're actually not even allowed to go into the temple anymore because I'm locking it up. He locks it up and uh, establishes high places. And he also, uh, the chronicler relates that he sacrifices his children to Molech, his sons to Molech. Now, um, you know, we, we think about that and we think, oh my goodness, how horrible, um, just looking back. But think about Hezekiah's perspective. I mean, Hezekiah is growing up in the palace with Ahaz, sacrificing his sons on this burning hot altar. And, uh, you know, I don't know if necessarily that Hezekiah was actually around during the time, but, um, you know, you could think of that. Those events are super close to the life of Hezekiah, and they are in his mind as he is taking his place as king, I believe. Um, and so you've got, you've got this, uh, you know, kind of, um, social and, and uh, kind of relational pressure that he's inherited from his father. And because of Ahaz, uh, Ahaz's unfaithfulness, Israel is actually taken captive. They're taken a lot of, uh, they're attacked by Syria, they're attacked by the northern tribes, and hundreds of thousands of them are killed and captured and taken away. Um, and so Hezekiah's got all of this, he sees the stage set. He sees Ahaz's unfaithfulness and he sees the consequences of it. 
And not only that, as he begins his reign as king of Judah, of the southern tribes, the northern tribes are taken, the northern kingdom is conquered by Assyria and taken away. So Hezekiah is, is a king who reigns, and yet, in spite of this, it seems, the bad examples of Ahaz, the, the socio-political turmoil around him, that was basically, you know, the, the Assyrians are coming down from the north, and they're invading the northern kingdoms, and they just, like, like totally took them away and captured them all. So they're gone, right? They're, like, basically erased. So there's nothing between Israel, or Judah, excuse me, there's nothing between Judah and Assyria. So he's got the Assyrians basically beating down his door. And so what the chronicler outlines is that Hezekiah is not shaking in his boots, and he's not preparing the, art, the, the, uh, the machines of war. He's not getting the people ready for battle. What he's doing, as the chronicler outlines at least, is making religious reforms in faithfulness to the Davidic and Mosaic covenants. So chapter 32 takes place, as we know from 2 Kings, 14 years into King Hezekiah's reign. All right, so let, let's dive in and uh, check out what the chronicler has to say and what the Lord has to say through his word today. Chapter 32. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servants said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah, and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, 
Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the works of men's hands. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with his sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the, to the Lord of Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations from that time onward. That's a long passage. There's a lot here to discover. I think looking at the passage, it does break up into three sections. And each section has a primary actor or speaker. And so in this section, in each section, right, uh, it's where I get the title of my message uh, because of these three speakers and the, and the outline of my message. And I hope it encourages you today from this passage. Um, and what I've uh, tried to draw out is that um, it, it comes specifically uh, from verse 8. And so the title of my message is Take Confidence from the Words. And we see in verse 8 that the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. And so I hope this passage encourages you to take confidence from the words. And we'll see um, uh, why we can do that. And when I hear the word confidence, I think I think confidence comes with a lot of different uh, connotations, maybe a lot of different definitions that we could maybe draw out from that. Um, and I think, but specifically in this passage, the word confidence has the meaning of, of relying, of resting, of leaning on for support, of sustaining, right, uh, and, and upholding. So this idea of upholding. So we can take our sustenance, take our, uh, build our lives upon the words of the Lord, because he does what he says. And so I hope in this passage we'll see those things. We're going to start at the beginning and, and work our way through to see how we can take confidence from the words of Hezekiah, how we can uh, not take our confidence from the words of the world, and take our confidence from the words of the Lord, because he does what he says. So we come to verse 1 in our first part here take confidence from the words. We're going to take confidence from the words of Hezekiah. We come to verse 1, 32 verse 1, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. So the fateful day that we talked about as we established the context have, has arrived, right? Sennacherib is now invading Judah, It was foreshadowed in the northern, king's fall, northern kingdom's fall to Assyria. And actually, as the kingdom fell in 2 Kings, the, the author of 2 Kings talks about how it was explicitly tied to their lack of faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant. 
And so, um, with that, the judgment of Assyria comes down to Judah, comes knocking at Judah's door. So we can see in this first section, verses 1 through 8, that we can take confidence from the words of Hezekiah. We can take confidence that God, by his grace, will prepare us for and provide for us through the crises of our, life, uh, of our lives, even when it seems like the odds are against us, right? God, we can take confidence in the words of Hezekiah because we can trust in the Lord who will provide for us through and prepare us for the crises of our lives, even when it seems like the odds are against us. So our passage starts with after these things and these acts of faithfulness, right? We're jumping into the tail end of the chronicler's retelling of the history of Hezekiah. And so we have here at the beginning of our passage the phrase after these things. And like we mentioned before, those three previous chapters are uh, uh, speaking of about, uh, are, are speaking about Hezekiah's preparations. And, and they might not be what we would do, right, as we consider, you know, if, uh, if Canada were to fall to some invading army, right, um, not I don't think necessarily we as a people uh, would, would do these things. And so I think the application doesn't come to us necessarily as Americans, but it comes to us as the church. Um, and so we think of jumping into the tail end of, of the chronicler's retelling of story, right, the, the preceding passages of the chapters that tell about Hezekiah talk about how he um, instituted temple worship. He reopened and cleansed the temple. And with those two actions, he reinstituted the right and orderly worship of the Lord, the true and right orderly worship of the Lord. And he organizes the priests to fully reinstate that worship. Verse, chapter 31, verses 20 and 21 summarize it well. They say, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. So he did all of these things. And it's talking about, you know, like in the end, this is what happened. But what we see in chapter 32 is that the actual crisis happened. It comes, and we see how he's ready. And I think what's surprising is that for three chapters, like this is, in my mind, right, this is where the action is. We've got, you know, side one versus side two, and they're coming against each other. Um, and yet what the chronicler is highlighting and spends more time addressing, right, than any other king is the reinstitution of the right worship of the Lord and his reign. And, and so, like, Hezekiah is not, and the chronicler highlights these things not of his military preparations, not of his like political or social preparations, but of his religious and spiritual preparations. And I think uh, part of what the chronicler is doing, as the people are coming back, he's setting up this this like you know synergy between faithfulness and physical preparation, right? Between spiritual and physical preparation. And so. The blessing of Hezekiah's physical work, as we see, you know, as first 30, uh, chapter 32, is all of because of those three preceding chapters. So let's, let's read to see how, once the crisis hit, how Hezekiah reacted. And when Hezekiah saw, it's ver starting in uh, verse 2, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop up the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. 
a great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the king of As kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at this gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So we have this laundry list of things that he's done the spiritual preparation and now the crisis hits and he's ready to do the work. And here's what he did. He conferred with his officers and his mighty men. He stopped the water, right? I think it was a very a vital resource for the people. Um, and so if there's a siege going on and there's water outside the city, the people that are attacking it are just going to be able to, you know, drink as much as they want and be refreshed and, and, uh, and uh, continue the siege. So they stopped that up, and they actually, um, I think in uh, Second Kings, it talks about how he built a tunnel, actually, to, to bring the water into the city. Um, and he gathered a great many people, um, and so, like, he's bringing all the people from around outside, and they're bringing them into the city, right, to prepare himself for this siege. He built up all the walls that were broken, and then not only that, he raised up towers, right? So not only are there walls that people can walk around and, like, you know, shoot down, that was a gun, but they didn't have guns back then. Sorry, that should have gone, you know, bow and arrow or whatever. Um, so <laughs> they got towers, you know, they, he's got uh, walls around it, but he also built up towers. So they, you can, they can see a little bit even farther. Um, he strengthened the, he, and then he not only built up the towers, but he built another wall. Um, so he's like, man, one wall's not enough. I'm going to do another one. And he strengthened the millow. And the millow is, talks about in like First and Second Samuel, how uh, David established it. It's like a, a earthen rampart, or maybe a citadel that um, was helpful in defense of the city. And then he also, not only that, he, he made weapons and shields, and he set combat commanders over the people. And then he made a speech to those people in the square at the gate of the city. So we can see that these are not just, like, empty words, right? He's not just like, He's not just gathering everybody together and being like, yeah, you guys can do it. Go out there. And uh, yeah, good luck, um, you know, with all of that stuff because, you know, we've done the spiritual preparation and now we're ready and we're not actually going to do any of the work, right? The, he's done the work both spiritually and physically. And it's not only evident in what he does, like in establishing these things around the city, but it's also evident in the words that he uses, that his spiritual preparation was for uh, utmost in his mind, right? He alludes the first words that are, come out of his mouth as he, as he, not preaches, but as he stirs up the people, as he encourages the people, right? Encourage means speak to their heart. He's speaking to the heart of the people, and what he says is, be strong and courageous, right? That's like, that's straight from Scripture. That's what um, David said to Solomon. It's what uh, the Lord said to Joshua, it's what Joshua said to the people, and it's what Moses said to Joshua. So the, this, this phrase has echoed throughout centuries in the ears of the people of Israel as words from the Lord. And so that is what is first and foremost on Hezekiah's mind, right? He is, he's not saying, 
right? And so as he speaks encouragingly to them, he's not calling them back. He's not, like, as we think of this moment, as I think of this moment, I think of it, you know, kind of like um, a Braveheart moment, right? He's gathering the people together. He's speaking to their hearts, but he's not encouraging them, right? right? What's the end of the speech in Braveheart? They can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And then, you know, but that is to stir up confidence in the soldiers. That's to stir up confidence in themselves. But what, um, what Hezekiah is doing is building the confidence, using the words of Scripture to speak to their hearts and build up their confidence in God, where it should be, right? So let's read what he says again. Um, but we're gonna, I'm going to set the stage. We're going to set the stage a little bit, right? You guys are all the combat commanders, Okay, so I've gathered you all here to give you the speech, okay? There are, you guys are in the square. We're in the square. It's probably a little bit bigger than this, I would imagine. Um, but the invaders are camped just a short ways away, right? Maybe a, a day's march or something. Just over the wall, a little ways away, are over 185,000 enemy soldiers, okay? So that is like, that's like the population of Rockford and Loves Park and McChesney Park all added together. So the entire, all these surrounding cities that we are in are just camped outside. They're, they're, they're over there a little bit, and they're going to come in and take over. Um, and so let's, I'm, I've gathered you together. We've done some work to prepare. So let's stand up. Would you stand? And I'm going to, let's read this one more time, right? We're going to steal ourselves for battle. Here's what Hezekiah says. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not Fear or be dismayed at the Assyrian kings or the horde that is with him. There are more with us than there are with him. Right? <laughs> there are more with us than there are with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Woo! Let's go! Yeah! All right, you guys can have a seat. You're ready to storm into battle, right? Oh, Woohoo! So, this is the part of the movie, right? Where the, the one side, he makes the speech and they all start running. Rah! And then you get the cutscene of the other side and they're running. Rah! Right? That's what happens. And then they all come together. It's awesome. And so let's go, let's see what comes next in our passage. It's more words. Kind of, kind of like anticlimactic a little bit, right? Whew. But that's what, <laughs> maybe that's the uh, rhetorical style of the day. But we get more words, which is, um, which is a little surprising. We actually get an answer from Sennacherib. And, and it's not in just like, okay, that's what Hezekiah says, but we're going to show you. We're actually just going to come in and take over. That's not what happens. Sennacherib is actually answering back to Hezekiah's actions and words with more words, not with action. It's a direct challenge. Uh, Sennacherib's words through his servants is a direct challenge to taking confidence from the words of Hezekiah and ultimately from God and from the God who does what he says he does. Or will do, excuse me. So we're going to see why we should not take confidence from the words of the world because they lead to our destruction. 
verses 9 through 19. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent servants to Jerusalem, of Hezek to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servant said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah, and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. So just a, a tiny bit more background of this section is that Sennacherib has begun his attack on Judah. And what he's done is chosen to concentrate his efforts on the, the fortified cities of the west, right? That's kind of the, the gateway to the, um, the, excuse me, the Judean plateau, right? And then in there is Jerusalem. So Lachish is like the most important city on the western side of, of Judah. It's actually, um, according to the ESV study Bible, the most, the second most important fortified city in all of Judah, right? So he's going after this city because he's like, man, if I take this, then everything else is wide open for me. And eventually, he actually uh, uh, does conquer Lachish. And so during the siege of Lachish, he decides to send like a bunch of his troops over to Jerusalem with some of his closest servants to oversee the siege. So Sennacherib is not like, you know, he's not just this king that relies on his own power to, to come in and, and take over, right? He's got some smarts to him, too. He knows what's been going on in Israel with Hezekiah's rule, right? And Assyria is kind of this big, you know, world power, you know, in the, in the, in the Near East. And so, you know, he's got ways to figure out what's going on. Um, and so he takes that knowledge, he takes that information and uses it to wage war against Jerusalem, not physically, but psychologically, right? He sends his servants to sow doubt among the people, right? Before any military attack, they attack the confidence of the people in order that they might win the siege before it even begins. So what do they attack? They attack the very things that Hezekiah was building, confident, was building in confidence for the people. They attack Hezekiah 
because he's, the, you know, he's bringing this word to the people, and they also attack the Lord. So first, in verses 11 and 12, he attacks Hezekiah. So he's, his servants are, uh, and this is like a condensed version, right? This is the movie version of a longer exchange among uh, Sennacherib and his servants and Hezekiah. You can read about that in 2 Kings or Isaiah. Um, but we get, the, we get the movie version. So we've, we've got the, you know, what's really the, the, the condensed version, um, what the chronicler wants us to, to know. And he says, uh, here's what Sennacherib says through his servants. Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? They not only attack what Hezekiah just said, right? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear the king of Assyria. Because with us, there are more with us than are with him, right? With us, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. They not only attack Hezekiah and what he just said, but they attack his entire reign, right? What we just found out in Chronicles that he did for the last three chapters. They've, they attack the confidence that the people have in what Hezekiah did um, throughout his entire reign. The very thing that the people took confidence from and, it, and it's especially tied to those spiritual reforms. And I think it's important to see, right, that um, the, the attack not, doesn't come like, hey, I'm the big guy, I'm just going to take over. It's like they are specifically attacking um, in, in a, a form of pointed psychological warfare, these things in which the people placed their confidence. And I think... Um, What's a little surprising as well is that they frame it in their religious context, right? The, the Assyrians, maybe it's not surprising for, I mean, it's surprising for us, maybe definitely not surprising for them, right? But they frame this attack in, with their religious context in mind, right? Which is basically the prevailing religious thought of the day, that you know, the more places you have to worship a God, the stronger you'll be and the better you'll, you'll be favored because you've got all of these places to worship. And I think, especially to the hearers in Jerusalem, as they heard these words, maybe to us they sound kind of maybe silly, right, because we know that the true worship of the Lord was supposed to be in the temple. But, but to the people of the day, it made sense, right? It sounded good. It sounded like, hey, yeah, why did Hezekiah take down all those things and oh, just say one place that we need to worship? Because all around them, the prevailing religious thought of the day was, you know, the more places, the better, and the stronger you'll be. So they're, like, um, they're, they're using religious language in order, but they're using it in their context in order to sow doubt among, uh, uh, in the tr of the, sorry, to sow doubt in the confidence of the God who prescribes worship in the true and right way. And so they're basically saying, who is Hezekiah to talk about God and what he's saying and what he will do to save you when he's tried to drive God out from you, right? Hezekiah doesn't know what's best for you. He's driven God away from you by only locking you into this one system. He doesn't know what he's doing, so why would you put your confidence in him? And actually speaking about God, 
you shouldn't put your confidence in him either. Here's what they say. They say, do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? He's like, look at my track record. Right? Sennacherib's saying, I mean, like, I am undefeated against the gods of other nations. Look at the pantheon of gods that I have defeated. I mean, like, this, <laughs> this is incredible. You can't get more cinematic than this, right? I mean, here is the, like, a true setup, right? I mean, Sennacherib's on one, you know, you've got Hezekiah and this ragtag bunch of Jerusalem, you know, the people in Jerusalem of, of Israelites, and they're like, you know, put your trust in the Lord. And then Sennacherib's like, yeah, I'm undefeated. I'm taking you down. I am inevitable, you know, as he puts on the infinity glove. Um, and so this, and he, what he's saying is, this God of yours is just like every other God that I've defeated. And you will all fall. And yet, I think it's, a, it's important to remember that with that you know, kind of as they speak, using the religious context of the day, this is exactly the opposite of what God had intended for Israel, right? Israel was to be a light to the nations, and, and through the true and right worship of the Lord, all of the nations would be blessed, but instead, because of generations of idolatry and evil, they're lumped in, indistinguishable from all of the other nations of the world, the Sennacherib, and I'm sure, you know, there's some, obviously, the psychological warfare, but it's also interesting that Sennacherib chooses to lump them in with all of the other nations of the world. And so, not only does he uh, um, cast a doubt on the confidence that people have in Hezekiah and then separately as the Lord, he does it, both of them together, right? In verses 15, he says, Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you, in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? So to sum it all up, Sennacherib attacks the very things that the people had put their confidence in, the words of Hezekiah and the Lord. And really, they are sounding really good. They're sounding like the points that they make are really valid, right? And, but wait, there's more. They keep, the chronicler continues to say, and his servant said still more, right? And so they, what did they do? They went to the, um, they, they wrote letters. They went to the wall and called out to the people in the language that they spoke, right? They're speaking the language of the people, not just addressing Hezekiah. They're speaking the language of the people. They are using every medium available to them in order to wage this war on the confidence of the people. The chronicler is setting this up so well, right? We have, it really is so much like a movie. We've got the good guys and we've got the bad guys. There's no nuance. There's no ambivalence in talking about how, you know, there, it, you know Hezekiah was not a perfect king, okay? But the chronicler is not focused on that. He's focused on the main thing, right? And I think that's important for us to remember that as the people return from exile, 
with such, and even as they're returning, they have an exile mindset. They need to be reminded of these ultimate things. And what, how much of that applies to us as a church, that we need to be reminded of this ultimate battle, right? That, you know, as we think about the fighter verse, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, and so we need to be reminded of this. And, and how often, how often do uh, people in our lives, leaders in our lives, pull a Sennacherib? How do they, they manufacture or they spin some kind of controversy in order for them to be the savior, right? In order for them to look like the hero. And their solution is always for them to be the hero or confidence in themselves or confidence in you. They're subtly or not so subtly saying, take confidence from my words and from me. And that's what Sennacherib's saying. He's saying, don't take confidence in Hezekiah. Don't take confidence in the Lord. You need to take confidence in me because of the doubt that I've sown. Because of, of my track record, take confidence from me. They're coming to the walls. And, uh, speaking of this application, right? The people that, are, that are, are calling for themselves as a solution are coming to the walls of us, of the people. Of the, uh, they're coming to social media. They're speaking the language of the people. They're speaking our language. They're even using religious terminology and imagery. They're decrying the state of things to cast contempt on the Lord, as it says in verse 17. And so, us as a people, may God be gracious to us and allow us to put in the work like Hezekiah did so that as we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, our confidence will be in Him and in true worship of Him. We will become what we worship and be able to put our feet to the road in practical ways as we run the race marked out for us so that our confidence will be in the Lord and not in the words of the world. And we can put our feet to the road in practical ways, running the race uh, in any, for like any number of social and political issues. If we have confidence in what the Lord says and fix our eyes on Him, on the Lord Jesus Christ, right, then the practical ways that we talk about caring for the poor, caring for the unborn, caring for the prisoner, for the abused, the neglected, the oppressed, the, um, the, uh, the, excuse me, the mentally ill, the physically uh, Ill, Ill, excuse me, and uh, just the, uh, it even comes down to like, like even specific policies, right? We can put these into practice because our confidence is in the Lord. Um, as Darren has mentioned several times, G.K. Beale has a, uh, a quote that says, we resemble what we revere, right? For our ruin or for our restoration. So if we are looking to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter, finisher of our faith, then I think one really practical way, if you'll give me a minute, uh, one really practical way as we come out of COVID, there are going to be crises. There are going to be controversies that people are going to stir up in order to make themselves, to put confidence in themselves or to put confidence in yourself, in your own works. Okay, let's... Let's do the work like Hezekiah did. Of, and I think, I think we have, as a people, the people of Rock Valley Bible Church have put in the work. We are doctrinally sound. It's time, as we come out of COVID, to put the rubber to the road and, 
and really uh, reach out with the hope of the gospel, looking to Jesus, okay? Um, I think that's a really, like, just really practical thing that we can do um, as we think about um, what it looks like not to take confidence in the words of the world, but to take confidence in the words of our Lord who does what he says he will do. All right, finally, take confidence from the words of the Lord. Verses 20 through 23. So the chronicler has set this up. We've got uh, one side versus another side. We've got faithfulness versus blasphemy. And we can see, we'll be able to see in verses 20 through 23 that we can take confidence in the words of the Lord because he will do what he says. Let's finish our passage, reading 20 through 23. It says, Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord of Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations from that time onward. Well, that's the end of the story, right? We get a quick summary of what happens. And we can take confidence from the words of the Lord that he'll keep his covenant. The Assyrian king is defeated and humbled, and Hezekiah is exalted because of his faithfulness from that time onward. Okay, that's the end, right? Well, we're all walking out of the theater, right? That's kind of, we're just, we're, that's the end. Credits are rolling. We're walking out. And, you know, this is like, this is like whenever you've read a book and you walk out of the theater after the movie and you're like, they left the like one of the most exciting parts out, right? <laughs> if you're familiar with this story, you know that the chronicler's like just glossing over like one of the most amazing kind of salvation stories in all of uh, like Israel's history, right? Um, let's turn to Isaiah 37 and read 21 through 38 real quick. So if you can get to Isaiah 37, I'm going to begin reading because it is kind of long and I'm trying to wrap this up here. So it says, Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is what the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And I'm going to skip that prophecy. We're going to jump to verse 30. It says, And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap, and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. We'll do this. 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. All of these things he has done to Lachish. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, 
and returned home, returned home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping at, in the house of Nisroch his god, Ademelech and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Ershadon, his son, reigned in his place. <laughs> this blows my mind, right? I mean, this is just unfathomable, unfathomable, got it, the power of the Lord, right? I, just to be able to sweep away an entire army. I mean, like, this is multiple cities in our area, just gone. And, and yet, and not only that, right? Like, natural disasters do that often, and yet it's not only that, but it's the provision of the Lord in defending his city, in, in protecting his covenant people, and, and upholding his covenant. And I think just like, what power? And what provision? And I also think, why didn't the chronicler include this in his recounting of the story? And here's a couple things. One, I think maybe um, it was a well-known story. So if you, uh, it's pretty surprising and pretty uh, captivating and intriguing to hear of, you know, an army being decimated overnight. And so I think maybe the people that were returning to the land knew that part already. And yet also, I think, the chronicler has a laser focus on the faithfulness of the people of, Hez uh, of, the people of Judah with Hezekiah as their leader and his humility Right? At one point in the story, Hezekiah lays down on the ground with his face to the ground, cries out to the Lord in humility for salvation. And that is what the chroniclers focused on, focused on Hezekiah's humility before the Lord and the Lord's provision and blessing in return. His focus is not on the actual act, but it is on the Lord who provides salvation for his people. And that we can put our confidence in that God because he does what he says. He doesn't spend a ton of time on this because he knows. And he wants the people to remember that God will do what he says he will do. The Lord says in Isaiah, a little bit farther on in Isaiah from this, from this retelling, he says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So Isaiah prophesied this word to the people as Hezekiah, their king, was their leader and humbly submitted to the Lord, and the Lord, uh, or sorry, Isaiah prophesied, and the Lord accomplished his salvation and the exaltation of Hezekiah, right? From this point on forever, it says like from this point on, um, from this point on, Hezekiah, king of Judah, was so exalted in the sight of all the nations from that time onward, right? So Isaiah prophesied the word of salvation and the Lord accomplishes it and exalts his king and vindicates his own name. And what a parallel that is that we have as people of the new covenant that Jesus instituted with his blood. He says, he proclaimed salvation to the people. He was the prophet proclaiming salvation to the people. He prophesied that salvation. And yet, he was not only the prophet, but he was the sacrifice. He was the means by which he would welcome all peoples from all nations to partake in the salvation that he provides. And yet, that is through his life and his death. And also, through his resurrection, 
He vindicates his name. And through his ascension, he is exalted as king above the heavens, as Lord over all the earth, so that at the name of Jesus, not Hezekiah, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Praise the Lord. The chronicler records these things for the exiles to take confidence from the words of Hezekiah and from the words of the Lord, not from the words of the world, who are swept away in a night. They are like nothing. How much more can we take confidence from the words of the word, Jesus Christ, in any circumstance of your life, so that we can take confidence when he says that he will never leave us or forsake us, that every circumstance in our life is for his glory and our good, and that he is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So if you do not know the confidence that comes from trusting in Jesus, I implore you to, to talk to somebody, read the word, find out who this Jesus is, put your confidence in him. And if you are a believer, put in the work, trust in the Lord for his grace to put in the work that he is a merciful and good God, and, and by his grace we will put in the work so that when those crises come, when the circumstances come in your life, you can build your life on, you can stake your eternity on, you can rest in the confidence of knowing that God promises his salvation to the people who trust in him. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to sing a song, right? We're going to sing... Uh, Jesus strong and kind. The start of each verse uh, says, Jesus says, right? We can put our confidence in the words of the word, Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're going to sing that. I'm going to pray as the, the worship team comes up. We're going to sing that and then you'll be dismissed.